It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Talk radio. Julia Hartley Brewer at breakfast on Talk Radio. Good morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley Brewer. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Delighted to welcome the Transport Secretary, Grant Shapps, to the show right now. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Jim. Good morning. Well, um, lots of big announcements to the Prime Minister yesterday in terms of moving out of lockdown, tier restrictions, still waiting to find out which tiers we're all in uh, and what's happening over Christmas. But there's one uh, specific major announcement and that regarding uh, uh, the test to release. And this is uh, allowing international travel once again. Can you explain how it's going to work? Yeah, really simple. Uh, at the moment, uh, if you travel from an area, a country which is not in the travel corridor, these are the things which change every week. They can be difficult to predict. Then at the moment, you have to quarantine for 14 days when you get home. What this means now is that after five days, you'll be able to take an authorised private test. And in doing so, if it's negative, you can be released there and then. Um, and obviously, this is going to make a really big difference. People who've got family overseas, family and around. But a lot of people are wondering, well, how are we talking about this happening mid-December in terms of people travelling in and out of the country when large swathes of the country may well be in tier three, which tells us to avoid travelling out of tier three and indeed in tier two and tier one, telling you not to travel into tier three either. So you're allowed to travel internationally, but not around your own country? So essentially, if you are um, traveling in a way that's not going to sort of endanger other people, as it were, you can you can do that. Uh, obviously, if you do then travel, when you get back, you're going to have to either quarantine for 14 days or have a test. So you won't be uh, sort of further endangering the area uh, in which you live. We do ask people to be sensible with it. And we are also are asking people to check very carefully where you're going to, because oftentimes you'll find there are restrictions in the country or the region that you're going to the other end as well. So it's you're right, it's not totally straightforward. You've got to think this through before you book and you, and you go. But there aren't restrictions per se. OK, now people who are paying for, the, well, getting these tests, they're going to pay for them themselves. It's not going to add an extra burden on uh, the taxpayer. Um, a lot of these tests offer you know, more than £100. Um, but we know that the cost of test and trace very quietly slipped out yesterday has now gone up from £12 billion to £22 billion. What on earth has that been spent on? Yeah, I think we actually put some more money into it. So this is money projected to, to, to go forward. And look, we, we know that the best chances we have of uh, defeating this virus are being able to you know, clamp it down by testing, knowing where it, where it occurs, uh, ensuring people uh, self-isolate or increasingly now looking at things like the lateral testing. And that's where some of this money will go to. Lateral testing is these very fast tests that give you, you know, within 30 minutes uh, your 
your reply. Um, so people, you know, it holds out hope that people will be able to go about their normal lives as long as they've taken a test in the morning. And then, of course, the really great news of vaccines coming down the line uh, as well. But we have to assume in the meantime, we need to do all these other things to keep things under control. We have a lot of problems, though, with the rolling out of mass testing to allow people to have what is effective freedom pass to go about their daily business. Given that the vast majority of people do not have COVID and never have even at the peak, um, we're in a bizarre situation where we're going to be using tests, spending billions and billions and billions on tests on perfectly healthy people to find out that they are indeed perfectly healthy to go about their normal lives. Um, given the sums of money involved, I mean, if you know, I mean, why not? If we've got that sort of money, money grows on trees. It doesn't. Every single penny we spend on one thing is a penny we don't have to spend on other things or it's extra tax, extra borrowing. That Again, future spending. Is that really a good way to spend what is effectively the health budget? Would there not be much better ways of spending that money that would save far, far, far more lives? One of the things we know about this disease is, that, unfortunately, the reason it spreads so viciously is a lot of people who are asymptomatic. They don't know that they are carrying it around are actually spreading it. So we do need to find out who those people are uh, in order to stop the spread. But actually, of the... That, that has actually been debunked since. Uh, even um, Fauci in the United States was, was clear about that uh, earlier on in the year. And it's now been a recent study published in Nature, peer-reviewed study in one of the world's renowned uh, medical journals after a study of 10 million people in China has found that actually some pre-symptomatic people for a couple of days before they uh, actually come down with the virus can be uh, transmitting the virus. But actually asymptomatic transmission is virtually zero. Well, I think we I, would be... Undoubt- I'm, sorry to, I'm sorry to quote yeah. evidence. I know the government's not big on evidence, but... <laughs> well, I, there's a little bit unfair. We do spend a huge amount of time with our chief medical officers and, and scientific advisors and sages. How are those 4,000 deaths and, a day going, and, by the way? And I should and I should point out, Julia, that you'll always find one scientist who thinks this and another scientist who no, thinks... No, 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 no. This isn't thinking. So, yeah. This isn't opinion. I'm quoting yeah. a major international, a major study that's been published yes. in a world-renowned uh, peer-reviewed scientific journal. Yeah, but I think the point, I, simple point I make is, I don't think anyone would argue is that if we knew everybody who was uh, COVID positive, um, it, you know, albeit, albeit that you make the sensible point about uh, a period when people might transmit before they know they've got it themselves. But if you did know everybody um, and you were able to uh, self-isolate those people, of course, we would be in a much better position. In fact, we know that's how to how to deal with it. So. The cost of not dealing with COVID, I would suggest, is so much higher. No, no one, no one is suggesting not dealing with COVID. No, and no one suggesting, as the Prime Minister suggested, uh, let it well, let, let me get, let me try, let me try it in a different way, actually. Let, let's look at the Liverpool example, yep. where it will have been, I think it's fair to say, a combination of different things. They've had a strict tier three lockdown before going into the main lockdown. But they've also had mass testing. And there's some evidence um, that these lateral flow tests have really helped, that it's helping to identify people and that's helping to keep a lid on the disease. So I, I think very good example in Liverpool. Let's see uh, what happens okay. as we expand yeah, that program. Except uh, infection rates were already going down in Liverpool even before they went into tier three and even before this testing started. Again, I'm sorry to throw evidence at you. I know this no, is not no, popular no, these no. days, but those look, are simple I, facts. I love, I love looking at the evidence. It's absolutely what we, we should be doing. But, okay. uh, but. I, I don't think anyone can argue that um, having a mass test program, we can already do 538,000 tests capacity a day and being able to double that up again, which is our plan before even the lateral flow test. Okay. I don't think anyone can say that's a bad thing. If, if nothing else, we'll be able to use 
to, to test for other diseases domestically in the future. Oh, than having to now that's that that's before. that's something of a concern. People are worried. Let me ask you. Uh, we're talking about this with Ian Duncan Smith, who worked in government for many years, of course, as Work and Pension Secretary, and uh, he was very very clear that whenever there's any major decision in government, particularly when it costs billions and billions of pounds and has major effects, there is always a cost benefit analysis carried out. There is always an impact assessment. It's required by the Treasury if there's a huge cost. What do you think this this policy will achieve? What will be the cost? What will be the benefits? Um, Mark Harper, a Tory MP, one of your colleagues on the back bench, has asked the Prime Minister yesterday for what was the impact of each measure in each tier on COVID and the impact of each measure in each tier in terms of on people's lives and on businesses. Are you aware of that cost-benefit analysis and is the government going to publish it before the vote in the House of Commons on these tier restrictions next week? Yeah, one of the reasons we've made the tier restriction vote next week is it will be after a huge data dump of a lot of analysis uh, which will take place tomorrow as part of the uh, spending review. So actually all of that work's been uh, worked up in, in government over the last few weeks uh, with the spending review. The information will be out there and people will be able to come, MPs will be able to come to their own assessment on it before the House of Commons decides whether to... Clear, there'll be clear evidence of what each so, so closing the pubs at 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. Yeah. That will be the the uh, the expected uh, effect on COVID will be will be known, and the expected excellent. loss of life and loss of uh, of the economy economic effects that will be known, will it? I totally understand the desire for complete clarity, but I have to tell you that a lot of these measures cross Great. over. So you will find that um, one measure and another measure. And I just gave the example in. Um, uh, the example in Liverpool, okay. uh, what happens in, in those areas is that it may be that it was a severe tier three lockdown. It may be it was happening before. It may be that the, uh, the the mass tests were involved. You can't put an exact number to each of those things, but we are getting better at understanding the things that really help, okay. which is why we're better at dealing with this now than we were at the beginning. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio.
Uh, delighted to welcome my first guest this morning. I bet he's glad he's not in charge this year. As former Health Secretary Lord Andrew Lansley. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Julia. No one would want that job this year. That, that is certainly the no. case, isn't it? But, I have um, to tell you, Julia, it's quite a tough job. Anytime. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you know what? My father was special advisor to the health secretary, uh, Lord Ennals, uh, well, David Ennals, as he was, in the 1970s. Oh, yeah. So I'm um, in the Labour Party. So I guess I, I know this well, but there we are. Um, let's let's talk about what is happening right now. Now, lots of new announcements in terms of uh, testing, uh, new announcements about new tiers. We don't yet know what the plan is for Christmas. Could find out today or tomorrow. We don't yet know which part of the country is going to be in which tier, and that has a massive effect on businesses. Uh, and uh, we don't even know actually what the the criteria specifically are going to be um was it was it first of all do you think it was the right thing for the government to announce that we are going to have these different tiers before saying which part of the country was going into which and before saying what was going to happen over christmas given that christmas eve is exactly a month away now yeah it, it, it it's a good question because it's a tough one um uh, the government said they were going to go back into a tiered system uh, after the national lockdown the to the december the second so having said that previously, I think they were, it was probably incumbent on them to say, well, what does this tiered system look like? And at least um, how many tiers are we talking about and what are the characteristics of those tiers? Because remember, there are some differences. So, for example, working from home is a, uh, is a recommendation in relation to tier one, which it wasn't uh, in the past. So there are some changes in the tiered system. Um, but the, it is it is quite awkward for people, you know, to, to to know that they're going into a tiered system, but not to know which tier they're in. And it's especially difficult for businesses. I do completely acknowledge that. But, you know, Julia, I think probably it's better to focus on what we know rather than what we don't know. And you made the point about, well, you know, back in the spring, uh, you know, the prime minister was talking about three months and so on. Well, to be perfectly three weeks, honest, I'm not three sure. weeks. Oh, don't get me started. It's it's you know that was. Well, this is know, the thing. Knew, People are talking about being out. Be of, look, you and I both knew it was going to be more than three weeks. It was never going to happen. I also knew that we were never going to be uh, out of our, our four week lockdown. I mean, I mean, tier three is a lockdown in all but name, apart from being able to go to the hairdresser. For goodness' sake, um, we, we know these things. There's no such thing as a circuit breaker. None of this stuff is ever going to come off. But the, the news that it's we do know for a fact this is going to happen until Easter at, at the earliest. Um, a lot of this is going to be down to how quickly a vaccine can be rolled out, isn't? And that's one of the issues because um, only a couple of weeks ago we had Matt Hancock talking about how we could roll out, you know, once we once we knew about the Pfizer vaccine, we could roll out vaccine uh, for all the people who really needed it, the, the elderly uh, and, and the vulnerable. And we're looking at sort of like probably 12 million people. So, but we could roll that out by Easter. And then I think last week there was talk about rolling out a vaccine within a few months um, in you know major major project, but rolling out within a couple of months vaccines for everybody, the entire 67 million people. Have this country and now we're back to from the prime minister yesterday talking about the majority of those who need it getting it by easter these i mean these are three completely different aims involving completely different effects on the rest of the country which do you think having been in charge of the health department which do you think is the most likely well they're trying to do something which is unprecedented because it is much larger in scale than the um, flu vaccination program in the autumn which was probably vaccinating about uh, 10 to 15 million people over the space of 10 to 15 weeks. So your starting point is a million a week. Well, we, that's not good enough. We've got to do much better than that. We've got to um, we've got to potentially vaccinate the whole population with two doses. So you're looking at something like 130 million 
um, vaccinations. So that's a, that's an incredibly large uh, logistical exercise. But I suppose in a way, Julia, you know, you're, you're as much of an expert on this as anybody, because it's actually about our psychology in the circumstances where we know that there is um, a vaccine in prospect, but there is a uh, really rather difficult and potentially dangerous period of time. Because remember, it's midwinter. It's when um, these respiratory conditions tend to be more, uh, they're more virulent and dangerous. We really don't want January and February to be a period where a vaccine is in immediate prospect, but we haven't yet vaccinated some of the more vulnerable people by on grounds of age or chronic conditions. We've really got to Either we've got to get that, the vaccinations to them even faster, or I think more realistically, um, maintain quite a strict social distancing and indeed not mixing households over the period running up to that. Which yeah. brings, but, you know, Christmas is really tricky because if households mix across generations on a large scale, January will be very difficult. But hold on a minute. We, we, we know that January is going to be very difficult anyway because we know every single year January and February are yes. difficult. We know that deaths go up every winter, respiratory deaths in particular go up every winter. There will be COVID deaths going up this January uh, through December, January and February because COVID is the dominant respiratory disease. And let's face it, we all know so, also know that anybody who's dying of something else, vaguely respiratory related or even to heart disease or something else, if they test positive for COVID and it's endemic in hospitals, they're going to be put down as a COVID death. So we know that those figures are going to look bad. I mean, what we don't want is mass hysteria from the populace and indeed from, from the healthcare workers and the government about something that we know is perfectly normal. We are yet again in a situation where we have right now no more, and there's nothing abnormal about the deaths we are currently seeing, even before the point where the lockdown could possibly have an effect. We're at the top end of the normal range of deaths that you would get in a normal year from normal diseases. Um, and in fact, there's large thought that actually a lot of the excess deaths we are seeing are not COVID. They're people not being treated for other things. Um, we do need to get this in perspective. So when we see that rising death toll in December and January, people shouldn't be sort of running around going, ah, help, we need to lock down again. That's going to happen and it'll happen no matter what we do. No, nobody's suggesting um, hysteria, are they? Um, uh, and the statistics, I'm afraid you have to uh, under, uh, accept that the, the very um, substantial increase in deaths earlier in 2020 will have, in part, meant that um, people who would have died later in 2020 died at an earlier stage because they had some serious chronic conditions and they were the most vulnerable. The fact that our level of deaths going into the winter is more nearly a normal level is actually rather disappointing because we might have hoped that we would see a lower rate of mortality in the later part of the year. But that's leave that on one side. Point is this, we know that the bulk of the problem occurs in the mixing of households. We know that what people are hoping for, but, um, but I think probably realistically should avoid, is mixing households across generations over Christmas at home and into the new year at home at home absolutely and um, I mean I personally I am immensely sympathetic to people's wishes but also I'm very sympathetic to businesses of various kinds because frankly I think these businesses will not survive if we don't allow them to open and and they are many of them in fact overwhelmingly putting an enormous effort into being Covid secure and people are probably more secure there 
with their families than if they were mixing at home. Yeah. And certainly with they were staying overnight with each other at home. So I think we ought to be, I don't know precisely what the restrictions the government going to put in are and, and uh, social bubbling for three households sounds to me still to be quite um, potentially uh, risky. So, I, But I think people ought to be prepared to accept quite strict conditions on themselves if, uh, if, if the government won't do it, impose restrictions on themselves in order to protect yeah. older people, more but, vulnerable people but again, for three months. This is the thing. I, I don't know anybody who's got elderly relatives or relatives who are uh, facing sort of particular health risks who hasn't done that. And the point is that people are people are good, kind, sensible people, vast majority, yeah. people who would obey the law anyway, the sort of people who would do those things anyway. You don't necessarily need to have those restrictions uh, in law imposed on us uh, by, by a government, you know, by decree. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Let's go through some of the actual restrictions that we are looking at uh, in terms of different tiers because it's pretty complicated stuff. Basically, if you are in tier one, this is we're going to do really, really basic, simple stuff. It's going to be medium alert. So tier one is now kind of where we were in uh, last time around called medium alert, but it's the lowest level. Um, and uh, basically, you have to follow rule of six if you're meeting indoors or outdoors. Pubs and restaurants were shut at 11, although last orders at 10. People are encouraged to minimise travel. We're still working from home if possible. Uh, there will be live performances and sports events with spectators allowed, although very, very limited numbers. And you're also allowed things like personal care, like hairdressers. So tier two, which is pretty much where most of the country we think will end up be. That's high alert. No household mixing indoors. Uh, so forget the rule of six. No household mixing indoors at all. The rule of six will apply outdoors still. Pubs and restaurants again to shut at 11. Alcohol only served as part of a substantial meal. So an awful lot of uh, ordinary pubs that don't serve meals are unable to uh, stay open. Uh, there will, of course, be sports events and live performances. Again, limited numbers. And again, you can still go to the hairdressers. Now, again, still allowed to go to the hairdresser in tier three. That's a very high alert. But no household mixing indoors or outdoors at home, in your private garden in a hospitality venue that's it none of it at all um, outdoor public spaces there is a rule of six applying again I'm not sure how much we're going to be doing that in December and January uh, pubs and restaurants closed entirely except for delivery and takeaway so very similar to lockdown measures indoor entertainment venues closed and guidance against travelling in and out of the area so I mean really to all intents and purposes tier three other than non-essential shops being open um, and being able to go to the hairdresser uh, remarkably similar to lockdown uh, tier two is where I think most of us are going to be well, this is unless or until we get enough people having the vaccine. Now, the new Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine is the one that is giving us all so much more hope than the others. Pfizer gave us all that hope, 95% efficacy. However, a vaccine that does require being stored at a minus 70 degrees Celsius, so needing effectively dry ice, uh, puts huge extra costs on it uh, and huge extra difficulty. The Moderna vaccine from America, huge price, £28 a dose in the region of, uh, whereas we're looking at the new Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, 90% efficacy and uh, just costing a couple of pounds, well, £3 a dose. Well, let's talk about uh, why this vaccine may be the best hope with Dr Penny Ward, who's visiting professor in pharmaceutical medicine at King King's College London and Chair of the Education and Standards Committee of the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Medicine. Good morning, Chip Penny. 
Good morning. Um, and I think we, we are allowed a, a you know a, a cheer and a sigh of relief and indeed some pride, I think, at, uh, at this vaccine, that one of these uh, vaccines has been developed by uh, one of our own universities and, and a company here in the UK. Um, there is such significance to a vaccine being easily transportable and being cheap, uh, even if it's got slightly lower effectiveness uh, than the other vaccines, isn't it? Um, certainly. And uh, uh, in terms of our normal vaccine supply line is uh, is refrigerated shipment, which this vaccine is. So that would make life a lot easier for people distributing and administering the vaccine using the usual supply chain. Yeah, I mean, and th- this is the key thing, isn't it? I mean, having sort of minus 70 degree flasks of uh, dry ice is, is a rather complicated and expensive uh, logistical nightmare, isn't it? Whereas this vaccine seems uh, much more different. Why why would one vaccine cost you know, £3 and why would one vaccine cost £28 and why would one need to be refrigerated at such low temperatures uh, or frozen and why would one just need normal refrigeration? What, what's the key difference there? So the, the Pfizer and uh, the Moderna vaccines and messenger RNA vaccines, and this is a new technology and messenger RNA is relatively unstable. So in order to prevent it breaking up and not being useful, it has to be stored at very deep freeze uh, temperatures where biological activity is stopped. Um, that doesn't mean that it, because uh, obviously it's not given when it's frozen, so it can be taken out of the freezer and stored for a limited period of time over which the companies have generated the stability data to show that the vaccine is still stable. And uh, different companies do that differently, and that's why uh, different periods of time are, are uh, on the label, as it were, for being right. able to store. And and this is the sort of stuff that would have been seen, you know, overseen by the regulatory authorities. Uh, on sort of, they've been looking at a rolling safety data. They don't they don't do this, carry out the research, and then appear and go. Here's all the information. Now now start looking at it. That because of the need for the speed on this, one of the reasons why these vaccines are going to be rolled out so much more quickly than we would ever normally yep. see that is that they've been they've been you know, looking at all of the safety and all of the test testing results. That's right. Pretty much in real time. Yeah, in real time. And of course, it's not just the research that had to be completed, but also the scaling up of the manufacturing process. So if we thought the research was tough and difficult, then I can tell you that manufacturing millions of doses of vaccine is a heck of a lot more difficult still. And those processes can only uh, really get going as and when the vaccine shows that it's uh, uh, effective, first at producing an immune response, and then secondly, at uh, showing that it prevents disease. So when do they start so, that process then? Because they, they didn't well, just say, hey, we've got an idea for a vaccine, let's try and test this, and then they start manufacturing it there. And then do they wait and see the early stages of the trials? And as soon as they've got something they're pretty sure about, then they start that manufacturing? So so manufacturing is a staged process. Normally, it starts with the scientists producing something on their desk, actually, in the lab. And then it gradually gets into bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger bioreactors. So if you go past a field where you can see the grain silos sitting in the field, uh, then that's the size of the biomanufacturing process unit that's used for manufacturing for the marketplace where millions of doses are required, as opposed to giving it to a few tens of thousands in a clinical study where a much smaller bioreactor can be used. Now, there are people who, look, there, there are people who are anti-vaxxers, who, who don't want to take vaccines that have been around for decades and have been taken by hundreds and hundreds of millions of people like MMR and the like, who refuse to accept all the evidence that these things are, are, are safe. Um, mm. Those people, I think, are probably lost causes in terms of getting them to take vaccine. But there are also a lot of other people who you know, had all the vaccines themselves, 
given you know given vaccines to their children don't really think twice about it who are worried about vaccines that have been developed in a matter of months as opposed to vaccines that have taken years and have been able to look at long-term health effects and, and the like what would you say to those people about whether or not they should take this vaccine whether they should trust that it's safe well, firstly, the total time spent in studying this vaccine is actually the same as would have been done for a normal vaccine, which takes much, apparently takes much longer. And that's because under normal circumstances, you have to raise money more slowly to do the research. Uh, it takes much longer to persuade people that the disease you're treating is important enough to need vaccination of a population and uh, to be able to complete the clinical studies with diseases that may have a very low frequency in the population in general. So ironically, even though it seems like a very short period of time, in fact, all the steps have been covered in exactly as they would have been for the usual childhood vaccinations, for example, but they've been compressed into a much shorter time period because of the greater urgency of needing a vaccination to control this very difficult disease. And what about the idea that there will be long-term health risks associated with the vaccine that we haven't, get, you know, I mean, even if a vaccine went onto the market, someone would say, well, yeah, but I know that vaccine's been used for 20 years and people don't get side effects or, or, or anything, but they won't be able to see the long-term effects of it this time around. What would you say to, about that? Well, I think that we've got several hundreds of years of vaccine experience, actually, with a variety of different technologies. And we know that for the vast, vast majority of people have absolutely no problem in the longer term with having vaccination against a dangerous disease. And the balance of the risk of dying or having a serious problem because of the disease significantly outweighs the minuscule risk uh, from a serious long term problem related to the vaccine. Um, in addition, of course, we do have vaccine compensation schemes for the very rare circumstance in which an individual is damaged by the vaccine itself. So in those circumstances, that in, those individuals can be assisted uh, to carry on their lives. But those uh, are tiny. I mean, we are but talking minuscule numbers. But tiny fractions. We're talking less than one in a million people. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.